Welcome to the Absolute State of Podcasting, a production from Left Coast Right Watch, an investigative news outlet covering right-wing extremism wherever we feel like covering it. This week, we're going to be talking to Q Remedy Research about the trucker convoy that started out from Atalanto, California, and is still roaming around the country. Let's see what they're up to. After that, Arizona Right Wing Watch is going to be joining us for a special segment called What the Fuck Arizona. This week, they'll be talking about Wendy Rogers, the state senator who's, well, you'll see. After that, Right Wing Nut Squad, a roundup of right wing fuckery from around the country. And after that, we're going to take a look at the absolute state of active shooters and manifestos in this country and probably a bit beyond. We're here with a representative from the Q Remedy Research Collective who's been writing some really fantastic in-depth articles for us about what the convoy is up to and all of the awful things that they've done and threats they've made. So before we get into this week, could you tell me a little bit about where they've been and kind of how they've got here? The People's Convoy has just completed their third cross-country drive. They started in Adelanto, California on February 23rd, and they drove from there out to Maryland, spent a few weeks in the D.C. area, drove back to California, caused a bunch of ruckus out there, including threatening to lynch politicians, doxing and releasing physical street addresses on live streams, have gone to the homes of elected officials. Oh, and they shot at people a few times. Then they drove back across the country and arrived back in the D.C. area. How would you say morale was when they were on the way back? Kind of the atmosphere like in the whole convoy? So when they made the announcement that they were heading back to D.C., they had been in Sacramento, I want to say about two weeks. The mood was pretty low. They weren't getting a very warm welcome from the citizens of California. They weren't really getting much traction meeting with politicians. Their protests weren't all that well attended. And the average convoy member was sort of starting to say, well, why are we doing this? Why are we in California where most of us don't live fighting against these bills that won't really impact us? Why are we wasting our time here? Why did we ever leave D.C.? And so when they made the announcement, it was a boost to morale, but it also felt like the only decision the organizers could make to keep people interested. First, they were going to take a detour up to Olympia, Washington, to go to a rally they had been specially invited to. And so the plan was to leave Sacramento, drive to Olympia, passing through the bowels of hell, which is how they described Oregon, and then they would spend a few days up there before heading out east. That's when the first shooting occurred, right? That was when the first two shootings occurred. So there was a very complicated plan in an effort to survive what they thought was the worst thing imaginable, which was driving on a highway through the city of Portland. I've been through some bad situations and driving through a highway on the city of Portland is not no, a bad situation, not. but they thought it was because the convoy thinks of themselves in this certain way and because they think of Antifa in this certain way, they perceived it as this 
huge battle that was going to happen. And so one of the first things they did was they announced that the children and the women and basically anyone who didn't want to fight was going to go to a separate safe location. They weren't going to go through Portland at all. Some place in the mountains somewhere, hide out for a few days while the fighters passed through Portland and went to the rally in Olympia. And what actually happened was that the two groups split up and the group of women and children went first and actually traveled directly through the city of Portland ahead of the rest of the group. And the group of men, fighter people, took a diversion. So they didn't go directly through the center of the city. They sort of looped around the outside, which was probably the right choice because I'm sure that there were people waiting for them to come through flash the finger at them or something like that. I'm not quite sure what anyone had planned. And and so when the convoy made their detour around the outside of Portland, they reached an overpass and something fell off the overpass. And soon it became clear that someone was throwing something off the overpass, probably eggs, possibly balloons with paint in them. In response to this, the convoy decided to stop completely blocked all three lanes of the highway, got the fire hose from their fire truck out, and tried to shoot the people on the overpass with the water from the fire hose. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> the the image of a bunch of racist fascists trying to shoot people who are anti-fascist with the fire hose is, uh, yeah. I don't want to be the one holding the fire hose in that situation. That is not the person who I want no, to be that's in the not world. The hero. So. But I guess that's I guess that's who the convoy thinks they are. They think they're the guy shooting people with water hoses. So they ran out of water, so they decided to get back in their vehicles and drive away. But before they drove away, they shot several times at people on the overpass. And the cops came immediately. And, of course, the cops interviewed the people on the overpass and ignored the convoy driving away. With the guns. That's pretty incredible. There was a second shooting the same night. It was a similar situation where it's not clear there actually was anyone on an overpass, but it seemed like it was very shortly after the first shooting, maybe 10, 15 miles down the road. And um, someone thought there was someone on the overpass. Several shots were fired. This is, of course, all on video and available for anyone to watch if they have any doubts about this. Either no one was on the overpass or maybe it was a friend of theirs on the overpass, but that incident, in fact, was not even reported to the police. And the police didn't start investigating the second shooting until they saw a video of it on Reddit. Jeez. Yeah. Which is, I guess, what happens when you don't think that the police are going to do anything. Like, why, why even bother calling them? Right. So There was a third shooting in Ohio, correct? Correct. The story told to the cops was that it was a disagreement about where someone parked their car and their dog and someone not liking their dog. And so there was a fight and someone shot a gun and then the police showed up. And the police were very friendly to the convoy, which was, of course, what I expect at this point in in watching all of this, but was still a little dispiriting to see. Must be kind of horrifying watching this day after day. Could you tell us, like, who these people are that are, like, sticking with this convoy? Like, what do they believe? How do they act? 
What's their attitude towards the places they're visiting? Well, I think that attitude towards the places they're visiting is is a really interesting thing to look at, especially for the time they spent in California during April. They were in some of the most beautiful areas of the country. I mean, just gorgeous beaches and deserts and all kinds of stuff that they could have gone to and spent days at when they had time off. And instead, they all just basically sat in their trucks in a field in the middle of nowhere, just talking to each other and being grumpy about various things. I've never really had the money to travel in the way that these people are traveling. And so it's a little bit baffling to me to see them go to all of these places I've always wanted to visit in person. And then when they have free time, when they have time that they're not protesting, they just sort of sit around and do nothing. It's a very different way of seeing the world. I think the average person involved in the convoy this past week is very different than the average person at the beginning. At the start of the convoy, there were a lot more truckers, a lot more semis, people who believed strongly in the convoy's goals, but who I would still describe as moderate in their methods. They were driving across the country, this first group in the beginning, because they wanted to tell people that something was a problem, share their politics with people all across the U.S., and hopefully make change happen. And that approach is very different from what we saw two months later in California, where we have multiple convoy members and convoy leaders fantasizing about shooting politicians and hanging people. It's a very different situation than we saw at the start, in part because everyone who is more moderate has left already. They had to go back to work or go to school or take care of their kids or meet their responsibilities. And the other reason, I think, is that they realized what they were doing wasn't working. And I think that's pretty crucial when you're in a protest movement to to look at the methods you're using and determine if they're actually effective. And the convoy has not done that historically. But when people do take a moment to look at, is what we're doing working? Is this effective? Is this changing minds? Is this touching hearts? It really isn't. What would you say their beliefs and grievances are? I mean, are they more interested in the anti-vaccine stuff, the COVID conspiracy stuff? Or is that kind of passe and they've moved on to other things that they're more preoccupied with. I think you're right that there's a lot of conspiracy theories going on and going through the convoy. People are very into the idea of the vaccine being some sort of way to track people or some way to make people infertile or some fairly out there belief about what vaccines do and how vaccines work. The group was very into the Watch the Water movie that came out maybe a month and a half ago, talking about how COVID doesn't exist. It's all snake venom in the water. And the snake venom in the water is going to get into people and give them the devil's DNA, Satan's DNA. I think the grievances this group has are pretty similar to the grievances people had Mm -hmm. in 2018. Um, Now it's just with a COVID spin. And if if we hadn't had COVID, then they would have found a new spin. But it's the same old thing. It's the same old, the people in power aren't the people we want in power. Or groups of people have rights that they didn't have 20 years ago. And 
people who always had rights are a little upset because they liked being better than other people. And we're seeing a lot of that, especially in the more recent rhetoric coming out of the convoy as they were in Indiana and Ohio and having rallies there. There was a lot of anti-trans rhetoric and talking about people being sick freaks for putting tampons in the boys' room of a school really different from what they said their goals were. You don't have anyone counterbalancing those people who are making these fairly outrageous statements. Have they baked any of their own Mm -hmm. pet conspiracy theories? Well, they're convinced that the convoy is deliberately being ignored because they think the convoy is so powerful, so effective, that the only way the mainstream media can fight back against the convoy is by ignoring them completely. Because the convoyers believe that what they have to say is so true and is so important and would resonate so strongly that anyone who hears it would believe it. The thing that always gets me about that is every time I see one of these people get interviewed they're pretty inarticulate and don't even have their own talking points down that well there's a couple of people in the convoy who really have the talking points down but they have them down so well it sounds sort of like they're reciting their beliefs that there's no there's no real conversation that happens part of me is very grateful that they don't have more media training and they don't have people who know how to do these things because these are skills that you can learn And there's a a large part of me that's just sort of terrified at the thought of how effective this could have been if they had hired experts to help them. Yeah, I I mean, it feels like a test run for some set of tactics that they might use at another time. Exactly. They're learning what they can do themselves and what they need outsiders to help them do, skilled professionals. And I think they're also building networks. I mean, they've gone across the country three times already. They spent three days in Post Falls, Idaho. And the guy who arranged their stay in Post Falls had been in Adelanto at the convoy kickoff back in February. So while the group is much smaller, there are still a lot of people who feel deeply connected to the movement, to the people involved, to the goals here, and are continuing to spread that in smaller ways in their own communities and continue to recruit through their hometowns. What have they been up to since they got back to Hagerstown, Maryland, and what's coming up on the horizon that might be troubling? They got back to Hagerstown Tuesday, May 17th. They had a rally that night, they did a convoy the next day, and they were planning for their big D.C. occupation. That was the thing that they were going to do. They were finally going to go, we called it going the Ottawa route. They were going to take up occupation in a place in the city and use that as a way to get attention and to try to make political change happen. So they were preparing for that Wednesday night and Thursday and Friday morning, And then Friday at 2 o'clock, the convoy organizers called a meeting and read a press release that said, the convoy organizers have declared victory, the convoy is over, there's no more actions happening as part of the convoy, everything that anyone else does from now on is on their own, and that the convoy will be disbanding and leaving the site within seven days. Incredible. It was an absolute disaster. There were probably close to 200 
at that racetrack, lined up in their cars, ready to go occupy D.C., revved up for 87 days. And then just as they're about to do the thing they're so excited to do, the organizers pulled the plug. And it was a very touchy couple of hours. Immediately after the organizers pulled the plug, a number of people, including the guy who drives the fire truck, got in their cars, lined up, and just tore out of the speedway. And no one knew where they were going. No one knew what they were planning to do. And they ended up in the parking lot of a Home Depot. They all screamed and yelled and got mad for a little bit. And then Santa, who was sort of had become one of the faces of the convoy as the the past week in the Midwest had gone, announced that this wasn't over. Santa was going to create a group to keep going, to keep the convoy together, to keep working. And everyone was very excited. A number of people went from the Home Depot parking lot back to the Speedway to pack up their tents and supplies. And when they got there, they realized they were very, very angry at the organizers of the event. So there was screaming and shouting, and it looked like uh, the angry people were going to push over the fancy RV that the organizers were in. And eventually the police were called, and everyone was evicted from the property. Incredible. And there's, of course, a bunch of hilarious and strange things that happened in that, where the angry participants wanted to press fraud charges against the organizers, And the police had to explain to them that that was not something that they could do that evening. And that even if they could press fraud charges, they still had to leave the speedway. There was no magical solution for this. So lots of anger, lots of frustration, lots of very exciting live streams to watch, I guess. Then on Saturday, Santa announced that they were rebranding themselves as the 1776 Restoration Movement, to restore the U.S. to a constitutional republic and to restore morality. I've been watching these people for three months, and when they say that they're going to forcibly restore morality to people in this country, I am terrified. What do they mean by morality? Men should be men and women should be women. And men should go out and work and support their families and earn an income. And women should preferably stay home. Maybe they could earn an income, but they should submit to their men, raise children, pray, believe in God, the end. So when you say there should be men and there should be women and they should be getting married and having children and that that is the way things should be, you are saying that a lot of other people are not okay. They are very not okay with the existence of trans people. They vaguely tolerate the existence of lesbians, gays, bisexual people, but would prefer that they not exist at all. They believe everyone should be religious, and it doesn't have to be Christian, but really they mean everyone has to be Christian. It's a Christo-fascist group. What are their plans moving forward now? Currently, the group is staying in a parking lot in Bunker Hill, West Virginia, They have that site for the next month. They have actually made good progress getting themselves set up with the business side. They have an LLC set up and an EIN number, and they're getting a bank account. So in terms of the organizational stuff, they're making a lot more progress than I want them to. They're pulling together in a way that would be impressive if I agreed with them. 
They will be doing convoys over the next few days and weeks. They're also visiting local churches in order to try to recruit from those spaces. And they'll be going to Washington, D.C. over Memorial Day weekend to try to recruit from the Rolling to Remember motorcycle event, which honors veterans and prisoners of war missing in action or have committed suicide after time in the armed forces. I don't think that that group's going to respond very well to the convoy hijacking their uh, event. I wouldn't imagine they would. One thing you mentioned briefly, the anniversary of George Floyd's murder is coming up. Do you anticipate them pulling any kind of violent stunt like tied to that? It's hard to say. Sometimes they pass up what other people would see as opportunities just because they're not paying attention. It's possible that they forgot completely because they're sitting in a parking lot all day and they may not even remember what date it is. On the other hand, a number of the live streamers there were recording during the riots back in 2020, or the protests back in the summer of 2020. So certainly those people remember and they may be reminding the organizers. I think we're pretty much out of time now. Thanks so much for that special report from Q Remedy Research. You can follow them at... Q Remedy Research on Twitter, and if you'd like to tip them for their work, go to Venmo and type in at Q-R-E-M-Y. We'll have more reports for them in the future. This brings us to Right Wing Nut Squad, which is going to be a regular roundup of right wing fuckery from around the country. I'm Michael Borman. First up, we have Catherine Van Foster, CEO of Americans United for Life who was testifying at a House committee hearing on abortion in Washington, D.C. last week. Here's what she had to say. Human persons, from their earliest days, poisoned in the womb and dismembered, torn limb from limb. Bodies thrown in medical waste bins and in places like Washington, D.C., burned to power the lights of the city's homes and streets. Let that image sink in with you for a moment. The next time you turn on the light, think of the incinerators. Moving on, we have ultra-mega Michigan candidate Jackie Eubanks explaining to us why she's against all forms of contraception during a recent radio interview. How do you answer the local press person who might be your age uh, and just sees you as some loony who thinks she wants to take away your birth control? Well, in the state of Michigan. Sure. So I guess we have to ask ourselves, would that ever come to a vote um, in the Michigan state legislature? And if it should, I, I would have to side with it should not be legal. And I think that people believe that birth control is it's better, like you said, because, oh, then you won't get pregnant and you won't need to have an abortion. But I think that it gives people the false sense of security that they can have consequence free sex. And that's not true. And it's not correct. So, if you're living in Michigan, stop up on condoms while you still can. Finally, in the not-so-great state of Georgia, most of the media coverage this week was focused on the competition between Governor Brian Kemp and his Trump-endorsed challenger David Perdue. But we also noticed another interesting candidate in the Republican Party primary, who was Candace Taylor. Of course, she's lost her election, but it's not for want of trying. Here's what she had to say about her views uh, on sheriffs enforcing the law at a campaign rally. The audio on this one is not so great, but it's well worth listening to. We've got some awesome sheriffs, and praise the Lord for them. Pray for them. Even if you have a corrupt one, pray for them. And pray that they're replaced really quickly if they're corrupt. 
but I don't care. I don't mind handcuffing any single person who does who breaks the law and goes against our government. The Constitution says when you commit treason, it's death by firing squad. I didn't write it. It's in there. It's serious. It is, of course, not in there. Candace Taylor did not win this week, but she will no doubt be back. And now it's time for... Next segment we've got here on The Absolute State. We're talking to regular LCRW contributor, a representative from Arizona Right Wing Watch who shall not be named because <laughs> reasons. I go um, by Haley at least. Okay, I've, well, if you're going to dox, yeah, if you're gonna dox yourself, it's not my fault. <laughs> I did that on QAA. They, nobody cares. Yeah, all right. Well, it's a common name. That's a common one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well... It's not my fault now. It's so not. No, we're good. I'm a Haley. I'm a Haley. Everybody. Yes. <laughs> Hi. Haley80. Yeah. At hotmail.gov. <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, yep. there's a bunch of weird shit happening this week yeah, in Arizona, as there is every week. Pick anything that's happening and tell us about it. I guess the two major things that happen have to do with the Buffalo shooting and the Texas shooting. Wendy Rogers was supposed to get an ethics committee investigation due to her comments after that. What exactly did she say? She said, Fed Boy Summer has started in Buffalo. So it was like kind of like a nod to Nick Fuentes and White Boy Summer, implying that it's false flag. Um, oh, great. So the next day after... She made those comments. The Senate Democrats called a vote to have her investigated, and a lot of Republicans even voted to have her investigated. And then they vote. They tried to have her expelled right there, but they didn't have the votes for that. And even the... So, nothing's going to happen. Okay. Kind of a... How would you say Wendy Rogers' whole trajectory is going now? Oh, she's doing great. She's actually... Okay, so... FEC filings, the recent ones, she far outranked all the GOP in donations. She made over a million in donations. She made so much that it's literally impossible for her as a state senator to spend all that money. People really like her brand of politics, which is just to be a white nationalist. Was she? Did she always just have groipers on her staff? For the listeners who don't know, groipers are the post-alt-right followers of this asshole called Nick Fuentes, who's this white nationalist live streamer who became the face of the college-age white nationalist movement that's mostly recruits out of college Republican clubs and stuff like that. Am I getting that right? Oh, yeah. The Groypers. Politicians don't really affiliate with the Groypers, but in Arizona we got the two, Wendy Rogers and Paul Gosar. Wendy straight up post fawning, like, I love you, Nick Fuentes. And, like, I'm based because Nick Fuentes said I was based. You know? Yeah. And she's, like, a 65-year-old grandma. <laughs> she didn't do good when she first ran here. It took her six tries to win. She kept running all over the, the state and kept losing. And then she finally went up north and, like, carpet-bagged and won up there. She'll win again. She lives Sholo, I think. Small area. What uh, what else is going on in the state oh, and that's also she's an really weird? 
Oh, right. She's an Oath Keeper. Yeah. So, she's already pretty extreme, even outside the, like, Nick Fuentes stuff. And she's okay. super into Stop the Steal, and just, she's she's probably the biggest continuing Stop the Stealer. So, she was, like, an Oath Keeper well before she fell into the Nick Fuentes milieu, right? Yeah. Right. She just saw something that would work for her, and she stuck with it. Yeah, because she also has pandered to QAnon. She does a lot of QAnon events. She's just, mm. she, she loves them all. If you're a neo-fascist, Wendy wants to be at your event. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. But then mm-hmm. our other griper-friendly politician, Paul Gosar, tweeted out a very insensitive comment. I don't even want to repeat it. Implied I... that the shooter was a illegal trans person, but they used slurs. Why do you think Arizona is just so, such a I can't hive of this so shit? There's just something about our Republicans that are like the most extreme. We have several that are part of militias. We have we have more than one Oath Keeper in office. I mean, we had Joe Arpaio for a long time. I think that's part of it. It's like our leadership is super extreme, so it just like kind of trickles down. I don't know. And they know what they're doing. Oh, yeah, they're not as stupid as people think they are, even though they are still kind of... Give us one more very weird thing that's been going on lately in Arizona. I think Ron Watkins is hanging out at the Capitol right now. (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, For the listeners who don't know, Ron Watkins, former administrator of 8Coon, formerly 8chan, which... Our listeners probably know was where a bunch of neo-Nazis and other assholes posted their manifestos, posted their live stream links to shooting rampages or attempted shooting rampages. I guess more infamously than that, the internet forum where QAnon did a bunch of its posts until it kind of fizzled out. So Ron is now running for Congress here. (laughs) Which, by the way, uh, you have an excellent article out, out from a little while ago on um, his fir- the first time he tried to do a public debate on... Oh, yeah. Uh, it was the local PBS affiliate, right? Yeah. It he was, was really bad. kind of just embarrassed himself really badly. What was the big thing he said? I even forget now. He, he gave the thumbs up in, like, a really awkward way. He, like, tried to make a statement on Ukraine and his opponent like immediately shit all over him and he was just like you're right (laughs) he couldn't even construct an argument so he just gave up but yeah he's like i'm gonna keep you safe and then he gives a big thumbs up at the camera (laughs) amazing yeah he was bad he won't win which is good i don't really know what he's doing here it doesn't seem like he's taking this seriously but he's sunk a lot of his own money into it right most of the money is coming from his own loans got like no actual people donating them he had three last quarter so he's not gonna win but i I feel like he's here for something else maybe it's a money laundering thing i don't know what's going on but ron's up to something but he's playing cowboy for now so he's literally dressed up like a cowboy every time i see him i remember watching the stupid awful clips of him with all his anime figures and acting like he was doing kung fu or something (laughs) yeah so Before we go, could you talk about the Ginny Thomas thing really quick? (laughs) Okay, so Ginny Thomas sent email to one of our state legislators, Shauna Bollock. Shauna Bollock is married to Clint Bollock. He's a judge. 
So anyway, she sent a nice little email that was like, hey, honey, you want to do your constitutional duty? You know, do what you need to do about this election? And Shauna actually replied, like, she kind of dodged what she was saying, but she still replied back because... So basically, Clarence Thomas's wife, Ginny Thomas, asks the wife of a judge in Arizona to invalidate the election results there. Yeah, and she's also a legislator here. And later in the year, she introduced legislation that would make it so the Republican majority legislature would have the ability to just toss the election if they don't like the results. And Shauna Bullock responded really normally. She uh, posted on the timeline, said, even my dog knows that socialists need to be eradicated. And she got suspended. So that's Arizona. Good night, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) All right. Check out Arizona Right Wing Watch at at AZ underscore RWW, right? Yeah. On Twitter. Or at patreon.com slash A-Z-R-W-W. Yep, that's me. Okay, thank you, and I look forward to hearing your next dispatch from (laughs) your corner of hell. Thank you. Soon. (laughs) Last news item this week, we're going to look at the absolute state of mass shooters, active shooters, and their stinking manifestos. First, uh, Borman's going to address some of the FBI statistics that just came out about them. So the other day, the FBI released what is now sadly their annual report on the state of active shooters in America. The reason we're using the term active shooters is because the FBI uses that to differentiate them from other kinds of gun violence. It's really sad that we have so many different categories of it. But the FBI says they exclude incidents that involve self-defense, gang violence, drug violence, residential or domestic disputes, barricades or hostage situations, crossfire resulting from another criminal act, or any kind of activity that involved guns but didn't seem to directly put other people in peril. So that kind of negative definition leaves us with the active shooter incident with which we've become unfortunately familiar When they put out the press release, the first thing that they mentioned was they had seen a 50% increase in shootings from 20 to 2021. My first thought when I saw this was, what kind of baseline is that? Because 2020 was a really weird year. Disappointingly, when we went back and looked at the numbers for previous years, through 2017, 2018, 2019, all of those years had 30 or 31 active shootings. In 2020, even with the lockdowns, that number went up to 40. And then last year, it was at 61. We don't have a number for how many have taken place in 2022 so far. Groups like the Gun Violence Project have catalogued nearly 200 what they call mass shooting incidents, but that includes many that don't fit inside the FBI's definition. During the time that we've been preparing this podcast, there's been, unfortunately, another three shootings that we have all heard about. We're not going to cover anything about the shooting in Uvalde, Texas, that took place earlier this week. It's too raw. There's too much conflicting information coming out. We frankly don't understand what is going on with that yet. So we want to go back and look at two other cases which took place recently. One of those was a shooting at a church in Orange County where a man from Las Vegas traveled all the way down there. 
I've been writing a little bit about this. I can't say too much about what I'm uncovering, but just general details about this shooting. It was done by a man named David Chow. OC sheriffs initially said he was a Chinese citizen who lived part of his life in Taiwan and had some kind of animus towards Taiwanese people. That's actually not true. The office that functions as a consulate in Los Angeles said, no, he did his compulsory military service in Taiwan. He was born there. We have the documents about that. But he doesn't think that Taiwan should be an independent state from China. He considers it part of China. I'm personally still trying to look into the political complexities around that. I'd like to talk to an expert about it. But this guy, he was a security guard in Las Vegas. He had two legally purchased handguns, which he used. The attack was actually stopped by the parishioners at the church. One man, a doctor, heroically ran to tackle him, lost his life. In the moment where the shooter paused, the pastor hit him over the head with a chair and other parishioners hogtied him with a extension cord, uh, just putting their own lives and bodies at great risk to stop this. And I think if they hadn't, there would be a lot more um, casualties. This guy lived in Las Vegas. He was a security guard part-time at one of the Sands Casino locations. He lived in an apartment building that he owned for a long time with his wife. His wife went back to Taiwan. She had stage 4 cancer. She was going to get treatment there. His neighbors said that he was very abusive to her and that she was kind of glad to be rid of him when she left. He owned the building that he lived in for a time. He had to sell it, but he still lived there. The new landlords kept hiking the rent, and he couldn't live there after a while. Oh, you mean they evicted him? They did. He did find somewhere else to live, which I'll get into next week once I've published the article. But one very disturbing thing from a testimony from one of his neighbors was that once he'd cleared out of his old apartment, the new tenants found photos of him posing with guns in front of, I think it was a sign for the music festival that Stephen Paddock, the he stood in front of a memorial for that shooting, posing with guns with a manic grin on his face. There's a lot of very eerie stuff to this. One of the details I'd really like more information on, but we don't have that, unfortunately, is he sent a manifesto to the World Journal. It's a Chinese-language newspaper based out of Los Angeles. This newspaper received what they described as a bunch of loosely bound and paper-clipped-together diary pages or at least fragments from a diary. They haven't released any details of it. I'm not sure if they've given the information to the FBI. They announced that they have it through a lawyer, and they're being very tight-lipped about it. The title of it was The Diary of an Angel Destroying Independence. This title is not completely confirmed, but it would track with his animus towards Taiwanese people. There's not much else to say about Chow right now, but look forward to my analysis, hopefully next week, if not the week after.
The other case that's been in the news recently was the shooting at the top supermarket in Buffalo, New York, which was carried out by a young man called Peyton Gendron. He also had a manifesto. He arguably had two. One document that was a more traditional manifesto. In addition to this manifesto, he also had a diary that he compiled over about eight months documenting his thoughts day by day on everything from his motivations for carrying out the attack to his preferred brands of AA batteries. In the manifesto, he was partly inspired by and in fact plagiarized from the manifesto that had been prepared by Brenton Tarrant, the perpetrator of the Christchurch attack in New Zealand a few years ago. Gendron completely bought into his manifesto and basically tried to do his own version of it. It was not very well written or well polished. After a while, instead of trying to turn it into a coherent document, he just kept expanding with additional materials that he thought would be interesting, not so much to people who wanted to understand what he was doing as to people who wanted to understand how he did it. Most of it consisted of memes and general racial animus towards black people and also towards Jews who Gendron felt were responsible for the changing racial demographics of the United States. What was also interesting was he included information about the kind of gun he used, all the different tests that he made, problems he encountered in preparing for the attack over a period of several months. He really focused on not only getting his grievances out, but providing other people with information that they could repurpose and use in a future attack. Open source terrorism, if you will. That was remarkably similar to what Anders Breivik, a neo-Nazi who carried out attacks in Norway and who killed 77 people altogether. After those attacks, a diary emerged which was part rant, part motivational document, part preparation document. People who are motivated to to carry out an active shooting have decided it's not enough just to motivate them. You also have to uh, give them specific instructions on how to proceed. We've racked up quite a large collection of these different documents. There's a lot of effort that the extreme right is, is putting into training and educating its people into how to commit mayhem, how to how to maximize the, the damage they do, encouraging attacks on infrastructure with detailed instructions on how to go about doing that. There's been a trend in the last few years to say we absolutely must not give these people free publicity. It only enables them to, to platform their vile ideas. That may be true to a certain extent, but refusing to look into the content of these manifestos We're giving away the strategic initiative. As we said at the top of the segment, the number of attacks like this has doubled over the last couple of years. That number is just going to keep increasing as we head forward into the future. So maybe the absolute state when we're putting together the article are completely one hundred percent viewers support we kind of just looked at each other and had a gut my sole source of income and we'd like to make that the case for more of our writers i wish we were wrong but you can support us at patreon.com slash lcrw if you'd like to set up a continuing monthly donation we do have thank you packages for that you can check out on the website If you'd like to set up a uh, one-time donation, please just see the show notes and we'll have a link to all the ways you can do that there. 
Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Stay safe out there and fuck the fash.